0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
1: They say the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Well, you, you and I, we were meant to be free. And now God invites you to a soul-shaking, chain-breaking, life-giving adventure with your closest friends. We will share our stories of struggle and bravely explore the uncharted places of our soul. We will do this together and promise one another we won't stop until we are free liberation awaits today freedom calls out your name this is the way the new way to be free
2: Hey, welcome to Liquid, everybody. My name's Tim, and we need to give a big welcome to all of our campuses who are joining us. Glad our brothers and sisters are with us today. Freeway is here. Are you guys excited? I am pumped about this series. Really think God's going to do some amazing things in our lives over the next couple months. If you're just joining us, Freeway is a seven-week series in which we are hooking up the Sunday sermon with our small groups that meet during the week. So for the next couple months, our church is going right in on the freeway of love and a pink Cadillac. No one remembers that. Okay, showing my age. Never mind. Moving on. This series actually is all about um, finding freedom in Christ. And I really think the next couple of months has the power and potential to change your life wherever you are in the spiritual journey. I understand some of you are here today. Maybe you're, you know, just kind of kicking the tires. You're exploring Christianity, investigating what does faith in God really mean? Perfect series for you to jump on board. Or if you're a new Christian, maybe you're returning to church, you've been away for some time, You've been like, I haven't been to mass in you know, 15 years, perfect opportunity uh, for you. And then others of you who are longtime followers of Jesus Christ, I think you may find yourself going to a deeper place than you've ever gone before. Because all of us want to be free, right? All of us want to live life on the free way. But the truth of the matter is, we're not all free. Sometimes shame, sometimes regret. For past mistakes really have a way of keeping us from moving forward into God's future. I'll give you an example. Some of you know my family and I, we've actually been living at my mother in law's house uh, for a few weeks here um, because we're having some work done at our house, like they're, they're finishing the floors and stuff. And so we're kind of crashing at her house. She lives the next town over. And the funny thing about it is that um, grandma's house has kind of turned into a frat house. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let me show you a picture from last Sunday night, just to give you a sample. This is grandma's couch, and those are three Lucas men and three dogs. Can you find all the dogs? All right, so you got me, my brother Ted was visiting from San Francisco, my son Del, and there are dogs all wedged in there. They actually all sleep on the couch, on grandma's couch, two of them are mine, and, uh, and we get there, we're like, get off, dogs, and dogs all get off, and we all sit on it, and then they all jump back on top of us. So we're kind of trashing grandma's house and everything. So we're about to like move out, go back to our normal home. And so I was like, hey, we got to clean this place up a little bit. And uh, I was like, well, I'll do the couch. And so, you know, kind of like poof the pillows a little bit, um, clean the cushions. And when we went to clean it and looked underneath the cushions, I want you to prepare your soul for this picture. This is what we found, okay? This is, I took a picture of this. That is right to left. That is a quesadilla with a bite taken out of it. Uh, a half-eaten bag of popcorn, and then I don't know if you know what that is at the top. That's actually a bone. Now, thankfully, it's not a human bone, okay? This is a, but it's a dog bone, you know, with, with marrow leaking out. And it was funny to me because, okay, don't show them the picture anymore. People are, like, throwing up a little in their mouth. Um, it was funny to me that, like, you know, here we are, living for all these weeks, and we're sitting on the couch, and on the surface, everything looks, you know, good and all clean and trim and all that, but, like, underneath the cushions is all this crap right? Um, and I think that's how it is for a lot of people in their lives. We want to sit there and pretend everything's like kind of okay, and, but don't want to acknowledge there's maybe some dark stuff under here that I don't really want to deal with, and they kind of coming up, uh, you know, through the cracks in the crouch. The reality is we all say, hey, oh yeah, we're, we're free, we're doing great, we're kicking off the fall. But the reality is when you get beneath the surface with most people, most people actually are not free. You know, we post pictures on Facebook or, or Instagram or LinkedIn to show, you know, or oh, if your family's doing great, we're perfect, you know. Or, uh, you know, when we get to church, right? We do that a little bit on Sundays. A lot of us kind of, we walk in here and we're like, you know, hugging people and kissing babies. We're like politicians, you know? Even I do that myself, like, hey, you know, always like that. But deep down underneath the cushions, there's always a bit of a mess, right? I mean, if we're honest, uh, for a lot of us, some of us are hurting and. Maybe even your closest friends don't know, or you're in pain and your spouse doesn't even know it. A lot of us are not free because we're kind of held captive to the past and there's stuff under the cushions. It's like an old couch you can never get rid of, and you kind of relive the same mess over and over again. And here's the truth. If you can't let go of the past, you will not be free to move into God's future for your life. How do you know if you're having trouble letting go of the past? The answer is simple you keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. You ever hear somebody say, say like, uh, you know, oh, well, she had a you know, tough relationship with her dad, but there she goes. She married her dad, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't mean like literally married her dad, unless it's like Kentucky or something like that. But, you know, it's, it, or, or people, there goes the whole Southern Church Online audience. They just checked out, right? Sorry about that, guys. Uh, or you make like, you know, financial mistakes in one era of your life and you make the same financial poor decision, the next one, the next one. Or you have a relationship issue in high school, it goes off the rails, then in college again, your first marriage for some a second, just like the same thing over and over, history repeating. There are those of us who are tied to the past. And we kind of walk in here with all of our hurts and our hang-ups and we we try to hide things. We're like we stuff them under the cushions where we hope nobody will actually ever really notice the mess and kind of keep it there smiling. But the reality is you cannot walk in freedom when you're not honest about what's really going on. Some of us are afraid of people in our lives. We have enemies, people who hurt us, and we we try to avoid them. And so a lot of this stuff is like just beneath the surface, and it's stuff we've been sitting on for years. And we try to act like we're free, but we're not free. That's why I love the title of the series, Freeway, A Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. Now listen. Listen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus did not die a brutal death on the cross and then rise from the dead so that you could live the rest of your life like a slave, okay? Jesus died so you could experience God's free way to live, to actually be free from your past and to step into your future with a sense of God's purpose and freedom in your life. Through Christ, God makes that kind of freedom available to everyone here. In John 8, Jesus actually made this promise. He said, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Say it, church. Free indeed. Notice like there's two kinds of levels. Like you may be free on one level. Like, oh, I know in my head, like, you know, God forgives my sins through Jesus. But the reality is you're like, I'm still struggling with shame or regret for past choices. I struggle with guilt. Or I have habits that keep me constantly defeated. I don't want anyone to know. Let me be clear about our goal for the series. We're going for the free indeed kind of freedom the kind of liberating freedom that Christ gave his life to give us. So we're going to be spending the next seven weeks looking at these different stories in the Bible, and we're going to take this journey together. We're going to go riding on God's freeway, and today we're going to start our journey by looking at, I think it's one of the most famous stories in the history of the world. It's found in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to flip in your phone or open your Bible or in your notes there, We're going to look at Luke 15. Now, before we jump into the story as you guys are finding your spot, I want to just take a minute to tell you how you can maximize the freeway experience in your life. At Liquid, we always say, hey, life is better in community. And this week, we have thousands of people in our church who are starting their small group, which is going to kind of sync up with the Sunday messages for the next seven weeks, and it's going to be great. We provide these freeway workbooks. Did you get yours? Uh, you know, they're available 15 bucks on Amazon. We're making them available for five. We're taking that subsidizing as a church because we want everybody to do it. And so those of you who are meeting in your group this week, you're going to read the intro. Just let me show you how this works. You're going to read the intro that says a prodigal's party. I went to the park near my house on Wednesday, took this a little picture of that. And there's all sorts of interesting questions and exercises to dig under the cushions like this. It says, uh, in what areas of your life do you feel kinda stuck? And you can kinda journal your thoughts and reflections there. And I don't want you to read mine, so take it off the screen there. Okay, good. Um, that's just kinda personal stuff. This is gonna be kinda like your you know, travel log, your journey uh, through freeway. So you complete that, and then you're gonna share it to your small group over good food and friendship this week. And this is how the series is designed to work. In community, process and you kinda pray through what you're learning with your small group. So I'm in a small group this fall. My wife Colleen is in a small group. Even our daughter Chase, she's in a high school small group. They're all going through freeway. And, uh, and I want to encourage you, get in a group if you're not. Get in a small group with your season of life in your area who you can spiritually grow alongside of. I don't want, to miss, I don't want you to miss out on it because our entire church is going to do this for seven weeks, and it's kind of cool. Um, I'm going to prime the prompt every Sunday with a message from God's word, but then you're going to apply it to your life with 10 or 12 friends in community, and that's really where the value is. All those discussions that are going to happen all over New Jersey during the week. And I'm not trying to put pressure on you, okay? But I just want you to know, lean in, Most of the people in your row are doing it. <laughs> in other words, we had 1,600 adults in small groups, and then last week, 800 more signed up. So we have 2,400 adults who are all riding on the freeway together, and then also our high school groups as well. So I just don't want you to miss out. So I just encourage you. If you're not in a group, go to the Next Steps booth today after the, uh, the service and join a group. We'll find one in your area. We'll, we'll hook you up for the next few weeks. All right, now, today, I want to begin by telling you, I think, the, one of the greatest stories in the history of the world. It is the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15. And you need to know a little bit of the background for this. The Bible um, says that when Jesus told this story, he was standing in the middle of a crowd of really two groups of people. On this side are what I would... Define as like the religious wackadoodles, okay? Also known as the Pharisees, okay? The reason they're wackadoodles is because basically the Pharisees, they're like, oh, we love God. We love talking about theology. We just hate people. You ever meet religious people like that? Right? I love God, but I hate you. Like that's the Pharisees, okay? That's kind of like who they were. And on the other side are these, what the Bible says, notorious sinners, okay? These, these are people who, like, they, they did not have it all together. They're like, they had a lot of crap under the cushions, okay? These were prostitutes. These were notorious tax collectors. Like, they had stuff coming up through the couch all over their life. And so Jesus stands in the middle of these two groups and tells this story to both. He says this, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of, what's it say, church? The estate. Now, stop there because it's important for you to understand. We hear this differently than Jesus's listeners would have heard it in the Middle East in the first century. To get the full impact of the story about a father and his son, you got to understand there are a lot of things in Jesus's day that a father would never ever do. Think about your growing up. There are some things that my dad, even though he's been gone for four years, I know my dad would never ever do. For instance, my dad would never ever drive a fancy car. My dad, my mom would say, wait, oh, your father's thrifty. I'm like, he's cheap. Uh, Because in his life, he only had two cars. He only drove a Vega. Anyone remember Vega? Good times. And a Chevette. All right, that was his big upgrade, a Chevette, right? So my dad would never, ever drive a fancy car. Second thing my dad would never, ever do, he'd never, ever dance. My dad was a fun, kind of outgoing, you know, practical joker kind of guy. But I can never remember seeing him dance one time. In fact, if there is like dancing in heaven right now, he is not enjoying this, okay? There are just like a couple of things my dad would never, ever do. But there were the same thing. There were a lot of things that a Middle Eastern father would never, ever do in the first century. For instance, a Middle Eastern dad would never divide up his estate early and give it to the kids. That just didn't happen because there was a thousand-year-old tradition. At the end of his life, he would call the family around his deathbed, and then he'd convey the inheritance first to the oldest son, then followed by the rest of the heirs. And he'd divide it up. He'd say, here are the keys to the Chevette. Uh, Here are my power tools. You're going to get the grill. You get the flat screen, you know? And that's kind of how it was done in those days. But in this, like, strange story Jesus tells, the son, the youngest one, is actually a bit of a punk, right? He asked his dad this question that no son should ever, ever ask his dad. He says, Dad, give me my share of the estate now, which is to say, Dad, I basically wish you were dead. But but you're not, and I don't really want to wait around for it. So uh, if you could just like give me my inheritance now, that'd be great. What he's saying is, give me my share now so that I can get out of here and live as fast and go as far from home as I can. And the son pleads with his father, and Jesus says, here's the surprising thing, the dad does it. So he divided up his property between them. And both groups listening to this story must have gasped. they said, no way, that's impossible. No father would ever do that kind of thing. He's lost his mind. But see, Jesus is sending a signal very, very early in this story by saying this is not your typical father, is it? The father hands his son the cash. The boy takes it. He stuffs his pockets full. He jumps into his, uh, you know, four-camel drive, you know, chariot, and he peels off to Vegas. Jesus says not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in what? In wild living. So I imagine him, right, he's, he's cruising on the freeway, he's cranking up the stereo, he's got his Bluetooth headset, he's listening to Steppenwolf, born to be wild, right? He's just like going, right? He's on the freeway, everything's fine, he's finally free. Life is one big party, he's having fun, he's finally free to do all the things he couldn't do at home. And he violates like any sense of morality that he's ever had. He's like, I am, I am free from the rules. I'm free from underneath my father's thumb. Nobody's telling me what to do. This is the freeway. Now, you know it's coming, right? It's not long before he's broke, he's bankrupt, and he's homeless. Jesus said after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Jesus later says in the story, he actually spent all his money on prostitutes. Maybe it was high-priced call girls. Maybe he snorted his inheritance, you know, kind of up his nose or or got stoned or binge drank. We don't know. But it's not long before his car kind of starts swerving in the lane and now his life is spinning out of control. And suddenly this, this young Jewish kid ends up working on a pig farm. Jesus said, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him what? Anything. Now, talk about rock bottom. This is a Jewish boy. In other words, he's kosher. That means he doesn't eat what? Pigs, ham, bacon, nothing. But this guy is so broke now, he doesn't even want to eat pig. He wants to eat what the pigs are eating, okay? This is rock bottom. And at this point, the whole story begins to change. Because Jesus is like, you got to understand something about the Father. He does some of his best turnarounds when your life is in the pig pen. This is the staging ground for radical grace. Some of you, your life is in the pig pen and you're like, I can't even believe, you know, I got dressed up to even come to church today. But if you really knew what was, going, what was under those cushions, Jesus is like, just wait. Just wait. Watch what happens here. Jesus says, when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I love this phrase. When he came to his senses, it's like the light bulb went on. The Greek word here is actually for repent. And you have to understand something. You will never experience the free way of God in your life until you come to this humble moment of brokenness where you just kind of come to your senses and you say, what am I doing? My, my life is a mess. I'm a mess. I'm, I'm living in the pig pen. Why did I even leave my father's? I don't even know what. He has this aha moment. It touches his heart. And he's like, what I wouldn't do to have a second chance, to go back, but I know I can't do that. But then this idea hits him. He says, I know what I'll do. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, he's like, I know my dad can never forgive me, but maybe he'll hire me. Maybe I can like shack up in the dorm with some of the other guys who work on, on the ranch, you know, and, and and maybe start saving up a little money and somehow start paying them back little by little. But he knows this is like a total long shot, right? <laughs> I mean, he must be imagining, like, you know, your, the dad's going to be like, I was dead to you, now you're dead to me. But he's like, I'm out of options, so here's what he do: He puts a blinker on, and does a U-turn on the freeway, and heads in the other direction. So he got up and went to his father. What he doesn't know is what his father's been doing the whole time he's been gone. See, every day since he drove far and fast away, where's his father been? Standing at the window, scanning the horizon every day, hoping beyond hope that his child would come home. Have you ever had your father stand at the window waiting for you to come home? I have, and it's, it's typically not a, a, just a compassionate moment. <laughs> oh, I remember. You're like, I remember my dad, and he stood there like this, arms crossed, right? You're waiting. Oh, I can't wait till that kid gets home. You know how this is going to go, right? <laughs> that little entitled brat of a kid who screwed up his life. But Jesus says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him, punch to the guts, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. You didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> Neither did Jesus' audience. See, it's important for you to understand the second thing a Middle Eastern dad would never, ever do. A respectable Middle Eastern man would never run in public. I, I know that's hard for us to, like, understand um, because men run in public nowadays all the time, right? A lot of you, well, it's true, right? A lot of you guys, you put, you put on your running gear and you go out and you run to stay in shape. Uh, you, some of you put on your running gear and you go out just so you, people will think you run to stay in shape. <laughs> did you run a Dunkin' Donuts? I saw you. I know you. But Jesus kind of throws this curveball. He's like, while the boy is a long way off, the dad hikes up his robe and starts running towards his son, hair flowing, necklace jiggling, flip flops, you know, sandals flapping. And he throws his arms, he kisses him, he says, Welcome home, boy. See, this is no ordinary father. This is a heavenly father who cares about lost children. Amen? That's, friends. That's the truth. If you remember nothing else I say to you today, remember this. If you will stop running, God will run to you. When you're ready to stop running in your life, God the Father will run to you. See, Jesus told this shocking story to just kind of shatter our conceptions of what the Father's like. Deep down, so many people think God is like an angry father. that Literally, like... A lot of people I talk with, they think God is just like waiting for them to screw up so he can snap them into line. And you know what? Maybe that's what your earthly father was like. Maybe maybe your father, your biological father was judgmental or harsh, condemning or unforgiving. But Jesus says that's not how your heavenly father is. What's your heavenly father like? Psalm 103 says, "The Lord is compassionate and gracious." He's slow to anger, and he's overflowing, abounding in love. And See, with a father like that, there is nothing to fear. He doesn't fly off the handle, even when we blow it, or we don't actually act very loving to him. Sometimes we spit in his face. The Bible says, your father doesn't change. He is faithful to love you unconditionally in the middle of your mess. So if you feel far from God today, you got to understand, where is your father right now? Your father is standing at heaven's window, looking out, scanning across the horizon, waiting and hoping this is the day his son or daughter gets on the freeway and comes home. And if you will stop running, God will run to you. See, the question isn't, is God ready for me to come home? The question is, are you finally ready to stop running and join the party? That's the other thing a Middle Eastern dad would never do. He'd never throw a party for a rebellious kid. You see, in Jesus' day, they did just the opposite. They actually had a ceremony. This is an interesting historical fact in the Old Testament. Whenever a son or daughter who kind of like publicly shamed or embarrassed the family came home, the entire community would get together, and they'd get these clay vases and fill them with rocks, and they'd march up to the house together. They'd call the kid out down the family steps and come stand out on the front lawn, and one by one, each family would take their clay jar and smash it on the ground as a way of saying you broke trust with your father, you broke trust with your family, you broke trust with this community, and now we are breaking relationship with you, we want nothing to do with you. They would excommunicate him. It was a punishment worse than death. So understand no Middle Eastern dad would throw a party for a son or daughter who just like blows the family fortune in Vegas. But then Jesus throws in this twist, not only does he run towards his son, and say, welcome home with open arms. But the father said to his servants, throw this verse up there. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're having a barbecue. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. He's found. And so they began to, what's the word, church? Celebrate. The father says, hey, everybody, I want you to leave your vases at home and come to my house because we're going to raise a glass. We're going to drink wine. We're going to have a party. I'm going to kill my biggest, fattest cow and we're going to have filet mignon. <laughs> what? Yeah, because my child was lost. He's been, he has been. came home. I want you to think for a moment. What does it say about this father? He was so deeply betrayed and wounded, and he had every right to be resentful. And he, by rights, could have said, are you kidding me? (laughs) You spit in my face. You publicly embarrass our family, and now, oh, bygones are going to be bygones? I don't think so. You are going to pay back every penny. You owe your mother and me an apology. You better explain yourself. It's just not what he did, is it? (laughs) Jesus says he didn't demand an explanation. He didn't give a lecture. He didn't drop a contract. How are you going to repay the fit? He simply forgave the boy and restored him as a son. And it cost him everything. His reputation, his fortune, and this extravagant sacrifice. So the father kills the cow and throws a welcome home party for him. A prodigal's party. I guarantee when Jesus was done telling this story, the religious wackadoodles and the moral screw-ups Both were shaking their heads and saying, I have never met a father like this. This is no ordinary Middle Eastern dad. What kind of parent celebrates even when their child makes unwise choices? What kind of parent throws a party when his kid comes home from the pig pen? And guys, I think Jesus is saying to every one of us through this story, this is what your father is like. This is what your true home is like. And God offers you life on the freeway, and if you will just stop running, he will run to you. That's what Megan discovered when she stopped running going on four years ago. Megan was in her 20s, and after a series of bad choices, found herself pregnant, addicted to heroin, and homeless. But now she is part of our church family, and we love her very, very much. This is the true story of a prodigal I'm home
0: you are loved courageous and beautiful i always longed to hear these words people and life seemed to reject me and destiny pointed me to a dark place through it all, rejection, abuse, pain, addiction, and then I saw a glimpse of light in my dark and winding path. Sweet and innocent. You were a child with a clean slate growing in my womb. But I was alone and scared. For a moment, voices told me to make you just a memory. I became scared to think my story would repeat itself. I wanted to give you the world And yet, I was raising you in a shelter. I was homeless. But this was an opportunity for redemption. And this love that I could not understand, it was a glimpse of something bigger. Life is so fragile. And at times, you will feel the cracks. But God put people on earth to mend our wounds. Like the angels that found me. Their love, it was unselfish their ways, noble. That's when I came to understand true love and redemption. They gave me hope. They taught me about God. And God changed my path. So don't be afraid. My past is not the story I choose for you. I am here. And God is with us. And I'd like to let you know that you are loved, courageous, and beautiful. Love, Mommy.
2: Would you welcome our sister, Megan, we praise God for you, Megan. Thank you for sharing your story. Would you please have a seat? Grab a mic there. Um, What a a gift that you would even share your story a little bit with us. I mean, um, maybe can we just look under the couch cushions a little bit here? I know, you know, by God's power, you have been free, walking in sobriety for almost four years now, which is incredible. That's incredible. That's an amazing, amazing achievement, right? So maybe just tell us real quickly, you grew up in New Jersey, pretty chaotic family background. Tell us a little bit about it.
0: I grew up in Jackson, New Jersey. Um, my mom left, left me when I was a little kid. Um, my dad couldn't really take care of me. He had his own addiction and alcohol problems. So I landed with my aunt, and I was pregnant by 16.
2: Wow. How did you get involved using heroin?
0: Well, I lost my job, so I couldn't afford my apartment anymore. So I asked my daughter's father to take her for a little while. I wound up losing my daughter, and all of the hopelessness was there. Um, one of one of seven and five of us were heroin addicts, so I knew it to be something to take the pain away, so I tried to do it as a one-time yeah. thing.
2: Yeah. So you were homeless living on the streets of New York City when you discovered the Relief Bus. You guys know New York City Relief Bus. We are partners in ministry. We praise God for Juan Galloway, his incredible team. Um, what we do is we help serve meals to those who are living on the street, and you encountered, tell us a little bit what that was like meeting the folks from the bus.
0: Well, I got off a heroin and I got on a methadone program, and the bus is parked across the street from the methadone program. So that's what everybody does. They would go there, and then they would go to the bus afterwards. The first few times I was there, I met Juan Galloway, and that's when he prayed for me and the seed was planted.
2: And then I'm sure Juan prayed for you, and it was the heavens parted, Ah, and the magic wand. He said, thank you for doing the Lord's work. Probably not as clean as that, right? Tell us just a little bit how the relationship and the trust built.
0: Well, living on the streets, trust is definitely the hardest thing to come by. But after the first few times, I found there was three women that that, um, were outreach leaders, and they remembered my name, and they would pray for me. And the way that they spoke to me, Mm -hmm. it was very different. And I was very curious as to what they had.
2: Right. So what made you decide, actually, to give your life to Christ?
0: Most people would think that it's probably an easy decision, but it was the hardest decision of my life. The accountability that was there um, was definitely something that scared me. I figured I'd screw that up too. So they would, kept praying for me and talking to me to ask me to see if I wanted to walk with Christ. And I finally knew that that was the only way that anything would get better.
2: Something pretty incredible happened there because then you were pregnant again how did this? How did your faith help you in your recovery?
0: Well, when I found out I was pregnant, I was on the methadone clinic, and I decided that as soon as I found out, I would just quit methadone cold turkey. And thank God I had a relationship with Jesus because that's a very tough thing. But with the support from my family at the relief bus, I was able to get through that.
2: And her daughter is here today. Juliet is with us, which is incredible. Three years old. And some big changes in your life. You've even reconciled, reunited with your other daughter. Tell us about the changes today.
0: Well, now I've been clean. It'll be four years next month. And um, I graduated from school in February. That's awesome. I moved.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Achievement. Incredible. Amazing. Amazing.
0: I moved back to New Jersey. I'm now the donor services coordinator at New York City Relief. But the best part of my life is that I'm reconnected with my older daughter, Emily Ann. She's 13 and it's the biggest incredible. blessing. God just it's fully incredible. restored it. The trust is there, the love is there. She thanks the bus for teaching me about God and giving her back her mom.
2: Absolutely incredible. And now Megan is part of our church family at Liquid Mountainside. Would you thank Megan You're a gift that you would share that with us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Megan. It's incredible, guys. I, you know, I think Megan, she's like literally living proof that, you know what, you can run as far as you want, but you can never outrun God's grace, amen? You can never outrun the Father's love. And see, here at the beginning of Freeway, I just want you to see something, that the, the, the story of the prodigal son 2,000 years ago, it still holds true today. The names change, The son is a daughter. Her name is Megan. But once she stopped running, her father ran to her in the middle of her mess, right? It's not when we get all cleaned up and like we're sitting on the couch, it's all sanitized, spiffed up. God meets us in the pig pen and plants that seed of hope. And then that's where the turnaround begins. And it's amazing to me because I know you're sitting here today and maybe some of you are like, you know what? Wow, my story isn't as dramatic as, you know homeless or or heroin addiction. But God says, I can meet you in the middle of your mess. No matter what's under the cushions, if you're willing to invite me into that, I can do a miracle. So come home because I have something better for you if you'll trust me. So let me just close with four very brief truths from Megan's story and I think Luke 15. These are just four applications I want to sink into your soul as you debrief with your small group this week. And the first idea is this, God loves you even when you make unwise choices. Anybody here make unwise choices in their life, right? Yeah, me too, right? All of us have, right? Some of us have made unwise choices with finances or an unwise dating choice or an unwise marriage choice or a poor choice with drugs and alcohol. But I think Jesus wanted to say, you know, you have to understand, God loves you even when you make unwise choices. It's not a conditional love. Like, hey, you've got to do it right, and you better clean up your act, and then I'll love you. God just loves you as you are because he's a perfect father. That's just part of the deal. You don't actually have to earn his approval, and that is so liberating. One of the things that I think sometimes scares people about getting in a small group and being honest with others about the unwise choices in their life That they're like, you know what? If I lift up the couch cushion and show what's under there, people won't love me. People won't accept me. People won't embrace me. And you know what? That's true in the world. But in God's family, it's different. Because we realize we're all prodigals. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, I think we should all wear t-shirts that have two words that say, me too. You know? You know? So this week, when you sit on the couch in your small group and you start turning over the cushions and being honest about the stuff in your life, and you say, you know what? I had a pretty dysfunctional family background. It wasn't perfect. Guess what people are going to say? They're going to say, me too. When you say, yeah, you know what? My family was impacted by drug and and substance abuse. People are going to say, me too. You know, I'm struggling with pornography. Me too. And you're going to have this me too moment. And the Lord uses this incredible ways because you realize, like, We're not in his family because we're perfect. We're in God's family because he's perfect. And he made the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that reunites us to the Father's love. You see, guys, here's the truth. All of us are like the rest of us. And it's a liberating thing when you discover I can be honest about myself and no one's going to judge me. They're just going to say, me too. And guess what? Now we can embrace each other in the mess and become who God called us to be. Second thing we learn is that God loves you in the middle of your mess. He doesn't wait for you to get it all cleaned up. Jesus stood eyeball to eyeball with the sinners in his midst who failed over and over and over again. And his invitation was this. Anybody who is a hot mess, anybody who has messed up financially, morally, you messed up your marriage, you messed up your kids, your parenting, good news. The father loves you in the middle of your mess, even when you're in the pig pen. Remember, God loved Megan when? When she got it all together and got clean and sober. No, God saw her and loved her even when she was on the street because that's the kind of father he is. He doesn't wait for you to clean up your act and come home. You just have to do what Megan did, which is you come to your senses and you stop going your way and you say, I'm going to go the father's way. He will turn your mess into a message of his grace and he'll welcome you home with open arms. That's the other thing Jesus wanted you to know. God loves you and wants you to come home. I know some of you are sitting in the pig pen today and you're thinking, I, I, I couldn't possibly go back. But understand, God loves you right now. And where's God? He is standing by the window, patiently scanning the horizon, hoping this is the day that his daughter or his son comes home. The Bible says God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to eternal life. But understand, he won't force you to come home. He'll just patiently wait with his arms open. And when you stop running, he will run to you. Why? Last point, I want you to absorb this deep in your soul. Because God loves you not because you're good, but because he is a good, good father. In fact, he is the only perfect father you will ever know in your life. You know, on the day his kid returns home in Jesus' story, notice the father didn't put any conditions on it. He didn't say, well, you know, if you get your bath first, if you get your hair cut, if you lose that earring, you know, then you can come in, you know, no, 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 no. His son's coming in from working on a pig farm He's probably covered in pig gunk. His hair's matted who knows how many days since he last showered, no deodorant. And his father comes running and gives him this big old bear hug. And some of you think, well, you know, Tim, I'm gonna take a shower first. I gotta clean up this mess a little bit. If you saw under my cushions, I gotta get my life together. But you see, God loves you right now just the way you are not the spiffed up, sanitized version of you. He loves you as you are. And if you will trust Jesus Christ, he will make you into what he designed you to be, amen? Jesus will walk into your mess and he will literally turn into a miracle. I think this parable must have hit Jesus' listeners like a freight train. Because they would have been like, this, God's love is not like any earthly father. He's a heavenly father who loves you even when you make unwise choices. In the middle of your mess, he wants you to come home because He's a perfect father. Ernest Hemingway wrote my favorite story ever. It's a Spanish story about a father and a son who had a falling out. Words were exchanged. Things got heated, kind of a violent argument. Son left the house, ran away, disappeared, never came back. And his dad was so desperate to find him, he searched everywhere to find the boy, couldn't track him down. So the father took out a full-page ad in the Spanish newspaper that said, Dear Paco, Please meet me this Sunday at 12 noon in the town square. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And that Sunday at 12 noon, he went to the town square, and he was shocked by what he saw. 800 Pacos showed up. (laughs) Looking to be loved. Desperate for the love of their father, because that's what we all want, isn't it? We all want to be loved. We all want to know we matter. And in spite of our failures, that we're accepted, and it will be okay. Deep down, we are all desperate for the love of our Heavenly Father. And I just want you to know today at the start of Freeway, you already have it. You have it. God already loves you. And if you'll stop running, he will run to you. And if you're willing to come home, he'll throw the biggest party ever and welcome you with open arms. Amen? Amen. You Now, one of the things we do at Liquid every series, just to taste God's Amazing grace is to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper together because it is the most powerful symbol of the Father's love. You know, to welcome home that boy, the Father had to kill a fatted calf. There had to be a sacrifice for him not to be stoned, to be accepted into the Father's family again, and it's the same thing with your father. God the Father sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on a cross to forgive your sin and welcome you back into his family. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and our campus team is going to offer you communion. You're going to receive the bread and that's the body of Jesus broken for you on the cross. You're going to dip it in the cup which represents the blood of Christ that restores our relationship with our Father. And if you're a follower of Christ, I just want to invite you, you are totally welcome at the Father's table. But I also know in a crowd this size there are some of you who've just never personally received that forgiveness and love of the Father and Jesus said there's, there's rejoicing in heaven by the angels whenever one man, one woman, one son or daughter just stops running and turns in the Father's direction. In other words, there's a party waiting for you today. Today could be the day you stop running and receive the love and forgiveness of God. And so I'm going to give you a chance to do that as we bow our heads in prayer. Would you bow your head with me, all of our campuses? We're just going to pray together. If that's you, you could just say, in your heart, these words. You can pray them out loud or you can pray them in your heart quietly after me. You can simply pray these words. You say, Jesus, today I want to stop running. I need you to come into my life. There's a lot of stuff beneath the cushions of my life that I'm not proud of. And I ask you to forgive my sins and please run to me. Set me free. Save me. Clean up this mess and turn my life around. Again, we're still praying. If you're praying that prayer right now, that's the most important decision in your life. Angels are celebrating. This is your welcome home party. And your first step now is actually to receive communion with the rest of your brothers and sisters. We're celebrating that we're not perfect, but God is. And so this is a special moment. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're still processing, that is awesome. Thrilled that you're here. Don't feel pressure to participate in communion, you could just go through that line. Use that time to digest. Just reflect on God's sacrifice so you could be free. God, I pray right now, I thank you. Thank you for the story of Megan and the thousands of prodigals you have turned around and welcomed home, including me. We're all prodigals. Thank you that we, we can run far, but we can never outrun your grace and forgiveness. And God, I thank you for those right now who are saying, I need Jesus in my life and it's time. It's time to stop running. I want to run towards him. God, we rejoice with them today. And Father, I pray that you'll keep your hand on this series. I ask that you'll do extraordinary work in our lives and in our small groups in the weeks ahead. As we turn over the cushions in our lives, may we discover others who say, me too. Me too. We ask all of this in the name of the one who put us on the freeway to eternal life, Jesus Christ. And everybody's prayed together. Amen.